hands are always ready to receive you into his heart. His pierced hands are always open to receive you. And our theme for this morning is let Jesus' sympathy draw you uh, to him uh, for mercy and grace. Let his sympathy draw you to him um, for mercy and for grace. Our first point is that Jesus sympathizes with you now from heaven. Consider that. Jesus sympathizes for for you, with you now, from heaven. Let's first try to understand what the word sympathy means. It it, it, it really uh, has to do with being touched by the or with the feelings of another, sharing in another's feelings, being affected by them. It's not always useful to take a word from Greek and sort of unpack it and say this is what it means in English, but it, it, it's very close to it. Sum patheo, with, with suffering. With suffering. Um, when friends suffer, you suffer too. When you suffer, Jesus does too. Now, I would say that sympathy is not a particularly prevalent characteristic in our society. It is, I think, rather rare, even in the church. Many times we are not interested in hearing the sufferings of others. We're not particularly, we don't want to get involved. When we hear someone's sad story, we sometimes try to just, just, just top it with a more sad one of our own. And we have not taken time to listen and be sympathetic. Now, as we consider Jesus' sympathy, we understand, of course, that he was sympathetic in his earthly ministry. He saw suffering. He touched diseased flesh. He heard the desperate groans of people. And he, Spelanknids on my, which we looked at a few weeks ago, his, of course, his bowels throbbed with compassion for people. Thomas Goodwin was one of the contributors to the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, and uh, his most famous book was, was a book called The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. Okay, do you get the, the, the point of that? The heart of Christ now, as he is in heaven, towards sinners on earth. I'm going to read the subtitle, and it's, you're going to think it's the first chapter of the book, but it's not. It, they just had very long subtitles in those days. Uh, the subtitle, A Treatise Demonstrating the Glorious Disposition and Tender Affection of Christ in His Human Nature now, in glory, unto His members, under all sorts of infirmities, either of sin or misery. Uh, Goodwin was addressing uh, a misconception that people had at that time, and perhaps we do as well, uh, that, that the people in Jesus' day had an advantage over ourselves because they saw him personally and could experience his compassion personally. And we think even as our, our passage says here that he has passed through the heavenlies from his earthly ministry into heaven now, and we might well say, well, of course it's possible that he has forgotten us. And it's possible that he may have forgotten what it was like to live in his human body. 
And now in his renewed and glorious body, he can't possibly pity us. He can't possibly be so affected by us in our miseries and remember our pain. I don't know whether you caught it in my reading of verse 15, but the writer makes, it a, makes a point of using this double negative to get our attention. For we, much to our surprise, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. The writer is addressing our fears, our suspicions, and his exaltation doesn't make Christ weaker in his emotional attachment to his people. Goodwin actually argues that his exalted state with his renewed body makes him more capable in his, in his, uh, as he has been made perfect through suffering, more capable to sympathize with us. He has greater capacity for affection even at that distance in heaven. Uh, um, some time ago, obviously longer ago than nine months, um, uh, Gail was in California, and she, we just happened to be out jogging the streets at the same time, 3,000 miles away. And uh, Gail called me up, and, um, and there was a, a, a microphone that she was speaking through that was resting on her, resting on her chest as she was running. And I was stunned that, that I heard her heartbeat. I heard the, the blood uh, pulsing through the valves of her heart with far greater clarity as she was in California and I was here in South Jersey. It was, it was amazing. Goodwin makes the point about this passage that it is an open window into Jesus' heart and it takes our hands... And it places our hands on the heart of Jesus, on his chest, and lets us now feel his heart beating towards us. So Jesus sympathizes with you now from heaven. And he does this in two particular ways. He sympathizes with you in your weakness. He hurts in your suffering. Now, we naturally think that he's with us when life is going well. We think, well, he's right there next to me when I'm getting what I want out of life. But he sympathizes in our weakness and he hurts when we suffer. We may go through a time when a relationship is strained and, we, and we, uh, we, a family member or a friend may let us down and we may be emotionally raw and we believe that at that moment Jesus cannot relate to us at all. We feel perhaps that we have uh, lost our chance to get the life that we've wanted. And we may feel that Jesus has absolutely no contact with us in our circumstance. But Jesus is right there, suffering with you in his perfect and holy heart. Remember that conversation between Saul on the road to Damascus and the exalted Savior in heaven, where Jesus stops him short and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
And Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? (laughs) What's going on, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When Jesus' bride hurts, he hurts. Kids, it's perhaps the easiest way that you could maybe get a hold of this is that you've seen your parents hurt when, you, when you've got a, 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 some out malady yourself. You see that. When you're hurt, you know your parents are hurt too. And that's the heart of Jesus. And, and all this, of course, is because of Christmas. Christmas, he is like you in every respect. We see in chapter 2, verse 17, yeah, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the house of God. And, and so it was that, that he, um, he um, is able to help those who are being tempted. He was made perfect in suffering, Hebrews says elsewhere. So he knows exactly what you're going through. He knows your suffering in his human nature. Imagine you go to the doctor. I don't have to reach back very far for this memory. Imagine you go to the doctor and, uh, and the doctor has a good plan of care for you. He's got a good, uh, a good plan of therapy and treatment. And, uh, and you're glad for it. You're glad to have it. We, we need it. <laughs> but it's even better if the doctor says, you know, I went through the same thing myself and what I'm giving you is the th- same thing that helped me get better. And we say, yeah, I'm ready for that. Jesus knows intimately what you're going through. Are you lonely? A sense of being deserted by friends? Have you been slandered? Have you been misunderstood? Jesus knows your suffering and he endured it. You may feel alone. that Nobody understands what you're going through. Nobody cares. But Jesus does. He went through it. He cares. And so... We find ourselves in, in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I, um, back, back when I was in junior high, I can remember, I, I was a, one of the brown baggers in my, in my, um, my junior high. That you bring your bag and a... You bring your lunch in a little brag, and there's other people around you who've got those spiffy trays that they paid for lunch. And there seemed to be a class system there. At least I felt that. Anyway, I'm there with my brown bag, and I open up my sandwich that day, and I've got an egg salad sandwich. You know how eggs sometimes can smell like sulfur? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this egg sandwich smelled like sulfur. And, and, and I, don't, I, just felt, I just felt my space was being contaminated. And, and it just really was an awkward, lousy feeling. And you can, be, you can feel those things pretty intensely as a seventh grade boy. And, and really, everything we do, we get, some, we get something of this. Everything we do has a touch of sulfur in it, doesn't it? But there's no sulfur in Jesus. There's not a trace of resentment towards you um, in his sympathy for you. 
There's not a trace of irritation. We've blown it again. We've been through this before. How slow you are. Your sympathetic Jesus is with you now, full of mercy and grace in your time of need. He, is also sympath- he also sympathizes with you in your sin. And this may be somewhat jarring to us, that he sympathizes with you in your sin. I, I guess one reason for that is we may ask the question, how can a sinless Savior sympathize with us in sin? Well, for one thing, he knows your deepest temptation even better than you do. He knows your deepest temptation. Better than you do? C.S. Lewis draws this picture. Imagine yourself walking against a, a very strong wind and you have to, you have to sort of lean into it and, you're, and you're, every step is difficult and and you you finally just after a while you just give up and you find a low a dip in the ground and you just lie down and you let you just let the wind rush over you because you're exhausted. Well, you never find out what that temptation is like. Ten minutes after you stopped. Ten minutes after you laid down. Jesus, however, kept his face into the wind. He never even pivoted his shoulders to allow the wind to slice by him more easily. He faced every temptation. And he faced it to its conclusion. He never opted out early. He never laid down. He experienced all of your temptations without giving into one of them. And so he knows the strength of those temptations even better than you do. If we could also, Goodwin also makes the point uh, that your sin stirs up uh, more um, pity in him than anger. Your sin stirs up more uh, pity than anger. Now, of course, we naturally think that because he is holy, that he is somewhat severe and irritated at ourselves, at us. And he might sort of mutter under his breath as we, as we bring this sin to him once again. Really? Again? Well, how is it that a perfect, the perfect heart of Christ can be drawn to a sinner like you? Uh, just imagine, imagine a father. A father who has a precious little child, a precious daughter who, um, who has uh, some bone cancer that causes her, her, um, her uh, humerus to be, um, to, be, to be brittle and to be so susceptible just to cracking. And, and she, She's just, she's just in, in pain and she is uh, very close to being, being uh, uh, even, even, even being dead. And this father, um, this father hates the cancer. 
But he doesn't hate the arm. He certainly doesn't hate the, his child. He sympathizes. He weeps for her and with her. And so Christ sympathizes us in our sin, even though he abhors it. His heart, as we've said, in heaven is even more tender, not less tender to you as you struggle against sin. He bore our sins. He experienced personally the guilt and horror of God's wrath. He knows more than you do the destructive power of sin. He knows more than you do how it can harm you, how it can distort you, how it can make you a slave. And how your, your wickedness can hurt other people and routinely does. He knows that. And he hates that. But you see, sin isn't your biggest problem. Uh, Jesus has already dealt with that. It is instead our slowness to believe. And so we hold fast our confession, as chapter 4, verse 14 says. Uh, Since then we have a great high priest, one who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast our confession. And we do that by looking unto Christ. We look unto Christ. Robert Murray McShane has, has a great quote. You've heard it from this pulpit from pr- probably numerous pastors. Uh, and it's, it's so important for us that but for every look at yourself, you take ten looks to Christ. You've heard that, right? For every, every look at yourself, you take ten, count them, ten looks to Christ. Now, why does that grip us so much? I think it's because we all instinctively know that we've actually got it reversed. We, we generally will look at ourselves ten times or more before it occurs to us to look to Christ. Why do you suppose that is? Why are we slow in looking to Jesus? Is it not that we question his sympathy for us? We question that he is as good as he says he is. Jesus calls you out of your despondency, your loop of despondency, of self-fascination, and look unto his mercy. Jesus is telling you this morning that your sin does not own you. It does not control you. It is not your master. Jesus is your master. You Need no other argument. A sinful soul, I come to him and he'll never cast you out. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these refreshing words. Thank you for um, the promise, the commitment that you have to maintain your sympathy to us in our weakness and even in our sin. Lord, we so often look away from you to ourselves, our, our ability to make things right ourselves, um, our, or just staying in a despondent frame of mind ourselves, uh, staying in somewhat of a depressed frame of mind rather than looking to you. And so we thank you for this brief word this morning, and we thank you for the supper that we're able to have to help us rivet our eyes upon Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us 
Heaven, as we take this supper, to know that it is an intensely personal meal where Jesus is coming alongside all those who trust in him to say that I welcome you. These pierced hands hold you close to my chest. In his name we pray. Amen.